So, as Tracy said, the same as last week, Luke 15, verses 11 to 32. Uh, Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. And after he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his field to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to the father, his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, threw his arms round him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the elder son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The elder brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, Look, all these years I have been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, come home, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Gail, thank you very much indeed, and good morning, everybody. Um, yeah, it's great. So, Claire, how are you? <laughs> Nauseous. Good. Marvellous. Um, you know, we, as a Baptist church, we baptise by immersion, so um, that's what we're going to do, and we're really excited about that today. One might say that's one of our traditions in the Baptist church. We have other traditions. We 
light the advent candles and, uh, and these kinds of things. Now, do you have traditions as we get close to Christmas? Does anyone have traditions in their home? Um, I want to know. <laughs> You're all so unconventional. Nobody has any traditions whatsoever. Are you joking? Okay, for the purpose of people who did not hear that, Alistair and family parade the Christmas pudding, and mum's nodding, um, round the, uh, grandma, uh, granny, <laughs> sorry, uh, parade the Christmas pudding around the ground singing Good King Wenceslas. Brilliant. You stick the words on the back of the person in front. You stick the words, that is fantastic. <laughs> I love that. I'm coming to yours for Christmas <laughs> just to see that. That's wonderful. Love that tradition. Wonderful. Let, I'd love to know more, but maybe later. Anybody else got a tradition? It doesn't have to be as wacky as that. You put out sparkly reindeer food. Have you had much uptake? Yeah. <laughs> Every year? <laughs> Santa is always there. I'm glad to hear it. Good. And uh, Gil's your 18 now. But that's great. That's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, Kenry. Uh, every year we have an argument about what time we should do the gifts. <laughs> <laughs> every year you argue about what time to do the gifts. Or just an argument, yeah. You're most likely to be killed by a member of your family, and it's most likely at Christmas, apparently. That's what this is. Just a nice common thought to throw in there. Um, any other traditions that people have? We have panettone and cheese. Well, it's something your family, yeah. The panettone and cheese for breakfast. Yes. Much cheaper at Little and Aldi, by the way. <laughs> Sorry, Adrian. You light a candle every day through December. Oh, wow. Brilliant. Thank you. Same one or different ones? Oh, my goodness. You've got 24 candles. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Cheap, cheap way to heat your house. Okay, we've all got traditions, and they happen at Christmas time. Um, do you know, in this ancient uh, world where uh, the prodigal son story comes from, they had traditions too. Let me tell you about one tradition you may not know about. They had a tradition, a ceremony even. Uh, if someone had squandered their their wealth, their living, uh, someone from that Jewish community had gone and squandered what they had among the Gentiles, they would then have a ceremony, or a it was a tradition, it's not, it was a ceremony called Kezazar. And Kezazar, what happened with that was, um, when that person, if they tried to come home, the community would gather around them, break a pot and say, our relationship with you is broken. You are no longer welcome here, and we cut you off. It was a cutting off ceremony. And that was literally what would happen in that ancient world if someone had squandered all their wealth among the Gentiles. Well, guess what? This younger son in this story, that's exactly what he did. We read about the, this last week. We heard about the younger son, and we're carrying on with the story today. We're picking it up where the, at this point where the younger son is coming home and facing the prospect of being cut off by his community. But he's hoping that he can make a, strike a bargain with his dad, that he can just become a hired hand in his dad's household. The father sees him. 
father sees him far, far off. This bedraggled, dirty, sweaty figure in rags walking back home. Father sees him. The father sees you today. The father sees me. There's a new tradition in our country. Uh, happens every single Saturday at 9am. Every single Saturday at 9am. It's a new thing that came along a few years ago. Does anyone know what I might be talking about? Park run. Park run. Yeah. Wayne, we did park run, didn't we? And uh, park run, I think, is a brilliant tradition. It's a bit like what church is or what church should be. Uh, we don't always manage it. But you know what? It's everybody's welcome at Park Run. You can be eight years old, you can be 80 years old, and there literally is everybody doing it. There's the very fast runners, and there are people doing it very, very slowly, uh, running, walking, whatever. Everybody's welcome, and everybody's part of it. You can bring your dog along, and it's a, a great thing. But one thing about Park Run is that everybody wears the right gear. Everybody wears trainers. I haven't seen anyone turn up yet in high heels or, or flip-flops. They turn up with wearing the right gear. This father, when he sees his son, he goes for a park run. <laughs> but he's wearing the wrong gear. You see, if you were a man of standing as this man was, this father was, you did not wear trainers. You also did not wear shorts or leggings. You wore a long robe. And you also didn't run. <laughs> it was considered undignified for men of that kind of age to run. I mean, it is really. <laughs> you were either a servant or a child if you were found running. But what does his father do? He sees his son coming in the distance and he runs towards him. He races towards him. But to do that, he'd have had to pull up his robe, and uh, run like this, you know. He would have looked ridiculous. And yet he runs. And just maybe he's running because he wants to get there before the community get there. Because the community might want to think, right, we'll, we'll grab this younger son and we'll, we'll do what we need to do, the Kezazar ceremony. But no, the father gets there first. He runs, he runs and he runs. We're going to sing a song at the end of the service. Run to the Father. But the Father runs to you. The Father runs to you. Throws his arms around him. Literally, the Bible says he falls on his neck. Maybe he was so exhausted because he hadn't run for decades. Falls on the son's neck. And we're told... He kisses him. Now I know that men don't kiss like in this country like that, but you know, in this kind of context, men do kiss one another. And this was a repeated kiss. This was kisses and kisses and kisses. All over his dirty, sweaty, smelly uh, son. There he was. The son says to him, Father... I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. What the son says is true. I have sinned 
against heaven and against you. No longer worthy. But that was only the first half of the son's prepared speech. If you were here last week, you'd know that he also said, uh, make me one of your hired hands. Make me one of your servants. But the son stopped short of saying that. And possibly he stopped short because he's just overwhelmed with the love of his father. We're told that the father was filled with compassion. It was just like something in his gut. You see, when the son had gone away, the father, um, he didn't just lose financial inheritance, but he lost his son. It was a broken relationship, and he had a broken heart. I wonder, have you ever lost someone close to you? Have you ever had someone walk away from you? Have you ever had your heart broken? His father knew what that was like. He'd had his heart broken by his selfish, sinful son. But amazingly, the son comes back and the father says to his servants, three things. Now, notice this. The servants were there. They would have followed the father. The father had run, so the servants ran too. Maybe others in the community ran to find out what was going on. This was not just an isolated father and son moment. Everybody was there watching. And the father says to his servant, quick, and they will run. Quick, go and get three things. Bring the best robe, put it on him. Bring ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. The best robe in the house. This was the father's robe. Dress him up in my best robe. What's he saying? This is my son. He's the son of the father. He's mine. And even with just the robe, all the community would have had to say, okay, fine. We're not going to go through with this cutting off. He's accepted back in the household. Bring the best robe. Not just any old rag, but the best robe. Cover up his shame. Cover up his nakedness. That's what the father does. And then he says, the, the, the ring. It would have been a signet ring. So in the olden days, uh, a king would have a document and uh, there'd be wax on that document, and to seal it, the king would seal it with a signet ring, and it would be the sign of that ring. That was the authority of the king. So what does the father do? He gives the son his authority by giving him a, a ring. You're not only welcome back, you're not only, the only part of this family again, but I give you my authority. And then he says, look, you're barefoot, you, we're going to get barefoot in a minute, you are going to put sandals on See, because the servants were bare feet, but a free man was not barefoot. You are free. You have freedom. This son, you are now part of the family again. You're restored. You're in relationship with me. You, I even give you authority, and you are free. <coughs> now, maybe you, well, we've all had fathers. Maybe some of us, we had great dads, and some of us, not such great dads. But I think for all of us, we have to do a journey to try and get our heads around the fact that this father is the kind of father that God is. That's what your heavenly dad is like. You can drop all any pretense 
You can drop any self-justification. You don't have to prove yourself. You don't have to impress him. He is filled with compassion for you. He loves you. And you just start making some steps back to him and he will run to you. He's also someone who loves a party. Now I struggle with this because I don't really love parties, really. I'm the guy sitting at the back sort of talking. Not really, my wife knows how to have a good party but I don't really know how to do that. But as I've reflected on this story, I've noticed that God loves a party. At the start of Luke chapter 15, these uh, religious people were muttering about Jesus hanging around with sinners. Then he tells three stories, and this is the third of three stories. And at the end of each story, there's a party. The lost sheep, he's lost. The, sh- the shepherd leaves behind the 99, goes and finds the lost sheep, comes back and says, rejoice with me. There's a party. The woman loses one of her ten coins. She finds the coin let's, and calls everyone around. Rejoice with me. There's a party. And here, they say, slaughter the fatted calf. They would not have been been big meat eaters. Meat was a luxury. So, slaughter the fatted calf, get the prime cut, as it were, and let's have a party. Do you know, it's so easy to be overwhelmed with all the negativity in the world, all the bad news that there is. But God rejoices when there's one bit of good news. God rejoices when one person turns back to him. Have you ever prayed for healing for people and nothing's happened? You pray for nine people, nothing happens, but the tenth person, they start to feel a bit better. Do you know what heaven does at that point? Heaven rejoices. You ever spoke to people and most people just ignore you, but then one person responds and say, wow, I think God's speaking to me. Heaven rejoices. It's easy to say, yeah, but what about all those who didn't get healed? It's easy to say, oh, yeah, but what about all those who don't turn to God? It's easy to say, yeah, but what about all the bad news in the world? That's easy. What's hard is to look with the eye of the Father, with the eye of heaven, and say, there's one bit of good news here, and I'm going to rejoice. We've got one person getting baptized today. Guess what the Father's doing? He's rejoicing. Your Father in heaven is rejoicing over one person who's getting baptized today. There's a party in heaven. September 2019, I went to Brazil. I've told some of you this. And uh, I had a trip. We are in big churches, praying for healing. And at one point, um, they prayed for us when I was part of a team and people were overwhelmed by the power of the Holy Spirit and fell on the floor. But then time came, we had to get up off the floor because the congregation were coming in for the evening meeting. One evening, I, I couldn't get up off the floor. People said, you've got to get up off the floor, you know, they've got to move the chairs, people got to come in. I couldn't get off the floor. And for two hours, two Three hours until I lay there, I was literally pinned to the ground with the power of God, my electricity. Just waves of electricity. I tried to get up. Couldn't get up. I had to be carried out. I was desperate for the loo and I couldn't get off the floor. 
I was overwhelmed with the power of God. And one thing that, that, that I, was, I was conscious, one thing was aware of at that time was just Father. Father. Just again and again, I just was, it was like I was being baptized in Father God. Will you let yourself be loved by the Father? Will you let yourself be embraced and kissed by your Father? And I know for some that might be a struggle, but this is where your heavenly dad we're talking about. Will you let heaven throw a party for you? I believe we can be guilty of false humility sometimes. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm not worthy. Well, of course you're not worthy. Don't you think God knows that? <laughs> Let heaven throw a party for you. Let God rejoice over you. One final thing I want to say. As I was lying on the floor thinking of Father, 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 just overwhelmed with Father God, I also had this sense that God was saying to me, I'm calling you to be Father as well. Now, I do chaplaincy in the hospital, and I wear a dog collar for it. And guess what happens? Sometimes go, people go, hello, Father. <laughs> they mistake me for a Catholic priest. I always want to say that with an Irish accent, but I'll re refrain. <laughs> and we don't do that. I know that. But when you come back to Father, when you experience the love of Father, there's a next step. And I believe we stop short too often. Because God is looking not only for sons and daughters to come back to him. To be reinstated as part of the family. He's looking for people to then grow up. And become fathers and mothers. Spiritual fathers and mothers in the faith. That's a calling on our lives. Now. Don't do it out of duty and responsibility and feeling guilty. That's what the older son was doing. We'll look at him next week. Do it knowing that you are the beloved. That you are loved. But become a father. Become a mother. Not a mother superior, but become a mother. In the faith. When you're overwhelmed with father, when you're overwhelmed with your heavenly dad, then you too can be a father to others. I just want to pray now. Father, I ask that uh, this congregation, that you would baptize us afresh, all of us, in the love of God the Father. Come, Holy Spirit. Anything that might be Getting in the way, just let's, let's acknowledge that and bring that to God now.